gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right. It's Friday the 13th, the final chapter of Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you from Camp Crystal Lake, or as close to it as I could possibly get. We're back with another edition of the Kill by Kill podcast, where we discuss the least celebrated component of any horror film, the characters. And we will be unpacking all the gory details of every hack, slash, and decapitation in the hopes that a camper's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, the person who helps me through the dark, scary night of Camp Crystal Lake is the one and only... Gina Radcliffe, how you doing, Gina? I'm good, Patrick. I'm uh, I'm happy to be talking with you after our little break, our uh, our hiatus. Lots happened since we last recorded. Uh, around. Oh no, nothing, nothing of nothing of no, 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 nothing no. that I, I can think of. I wrote a couple things down. Um, I wrote. <laughs> Uh, Doctor Strange came out. Did you see okay. Doctor Strange? It was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, it was awesome. We we got a shout out from our friends at the Flop House. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. Um, Westworld wrapped up. I uh, I still haven't finished that yet, but I'm going to. It's a to real end. mind bender. Yeah. yeah I, I understand it. It's just going to blow my brain right through my fucking hat. Um, <laughs> and uh, oh oh oh, and we had a presidential election, and now everything is terrible. Oh yeah. The, the the skies are blood and the rivers run brown with diarrhea. <laughs> That's very vivid and specific and you're not wrong at all unfortunately. I think this is one of those situations where we just have to hold on tight to the ones we love and those that we see floating by that desperately need our help. We have to like a Mrs. Voorhees, reach out and grab that person and yank them into the jeep and help people who need help. Well, nothing else. I'll just distract myself through whatever horrors to come by by talking about fake horror. That's right. I think that's the best way to go about this, at least for the time that we have together, the the moments that we all share through this audio podcast, I hope are relief uh, for people who might feel stress and might feel scared uh, and uneasy. There's a lot to feel about those things, especially with the condition of the world. But I promise you, for the time that we have, uh, we will try to keep things light and fun. And boy, howdy, our guest today probably has more experience uh, with one of the people that we're going to talk about today than either of us, obviously, because we never met the man. It is the director of such films as The Attic Expeditions, uh, The Thirst, and of course, the incredible remake of The Wizard of Gore. It's the one and only Jeremy Caston. How are you doing, sir? I am fantastic, guys. I'm really excited to be with you. <laughs> I am! So no, I really much. am. I actually am really excited. <laughs> now, Jeremy is one of uh, my oldest L.A. friends uh, that I met through my wife, through uh, the incredible uh, Emerson College connection. And Jeremy, <laughs> I think it took about five or six years before someone in, in our little cabal said, oh, you like horror films? Do you know that Jeremy, like directs horror films <laughs> i know that's really like, odd because we hung out a lot doing very not horror film like things yes and of course we actually have a much deeper connection than i have with most of the people i ever interface with from emerson which is you know a love of um seeing people brutally murdered 
<laughs> yeah, as a way to bring people together. Now, as our tradition here at the Kill by Kill podcast, we always ask our guests, what was your first experience with the Friday the 13th franchise? Well, good question. It's a, I'll keep it short, but, but to make it as uncomplicated as possible, as a reader of Mad and Cracked magazine growing up, Mm-hmm. There was no way – there were a lot of movies that I felt like I'd seen because I obsessively read their satires in Mad Magazine. And so the Friday the 13th movies were movies that I was pretty sure that I'd seen even though I hadn't. So I felt like I could like talk about them with some authority when I was you know nine even though, of <laughs> course, I hadn't seen them at all. And um, to be totally honest, to, this is the first time – that I've seen this film, the Friday the 13th, number four. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> we have two virgins in a row. Isn't that weird? Oh, no, it's not that weird. I think it's one of those things where you either missed or you didn't. I was the same way when it comes to films that you read about before you saw them. In particular, through Mad Magazine, Alien. Like, yes. I knew every beat of Alien, yeah. but only because I had just poured over those six or seven pages and they were still magazine. creepy. That's what's fucking crazy. Can I curse on this show? <laughs> yes. Shit, yeah. Okay, good. I um remember looking at the mat because I had seen Alien way too young, and not to get off topic, but I remember looking at the magazine, uh, at the Mad Magazine version, creeped out by that because there was stuff that you couldn't see in the movie. It was so dark and it moved so fast, and you could <laughs> really look at the creatures uh-huh. in the magazine and fuck yourself all up, getting nervous about looking at, you know, Cartoons that were making fun of them because they were pooping or whatever else. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's really, I remember being very aware of the franchise and also lying and speaking authoritatively on playgrounds about them as though I'd seen them all the way you do when you're a kid, where you tell people what happens in the movie and you're just making it up and you know all that. I, I distinctly remember something akin to that that happened to me where one kid had sworn up and down he had seen Carrie. Uh, De Palma's Carrie, yeah. Yeah. and we're like, whoa, whoa, would you tell us all about it? And he began describing this movie where a person had psychic powers, and he could move objects, and things would explode, and then there was one part where a guy with glasses on, his head just explodes. <laughs> and it was year, years later that I discovered, no, he was talking about scanners. He had seen scanners. <laughs> I mean, six, one half dozen, the other. I mean, that's still pretty impressive that the kid had seen Scatters, let's face it. I mean, you know, in a way, more cool than he'd seen a Cronenberg film so young. (laughs) So let's get right into it. And just to catch everyone up at home who maybe they're listening to the Kill by Kill podcast for the first time, to who's alive at this point. First up is Tommy Jarvis. He's a bull haircut suspended five feet off the ground. And then you have his sister, Trish. Now, Trish is the kind of girl who jogs in a sweater. You know the type. (laughs) Uh, Ted, who happens to be just one fedora away from constantly shouting milady at women who can't stand his presence. (laughs) And then we have Doug. And Doug is a guy, he is so beautiful that no one points and laughs at him when you see him with a polo shirt tucked into micro shorts. We then have Sarah, and Sarah is an individual that we know for sure isn't a robot because she gets wet and she doesn't explode. Otherwise, you might not be able to tell. And then we have Rob, our shitty monster hunter, 
who has decided to seek and destroy Jason Voorhees armed only with a boot knife and a flimsy deer rifle. And that brings us to the three characters that we'll be discussing tonight. And we're going to start off with Mrs. Jarvis, the woman with no first name. She's the even less essential character than the hitchhiker. <laughs> despite having more screen time and, and more dialogue. That's very, very true. Most of her dialogue is communicated in a sort of French neorealistic silent play sort of thing. Well, she's actually given signs. She doesn't... They did not want to pay her any sag rate at all, so they just said, just... She needs to say, fuck you, put it on a sign. That's fine. (laughs) There's your 30 bucks, sweetie. Enjoy your banana. Here's your costume of dirty blue clothing. (laughs) And there you go. So, yeah, we got Mrs. Jarvis. I can only assume that maybe Mrs. Jarvis lost her first name in the divorce. Well, you know, that... it's, you know, it's something like Janet or Donna or Nancy, that, that like middle-aged 80s mom name, Joanne. <laughs> it's whatever the, yeah, it's whatever the name of the mom is on, 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 um, oh, I blew the joke to, now I wish I was, yeah. All right, I'm going to go, guys. Um, <laughs> Bye, it's been great. Good night, everybody. <laughs> uh, family ties. That's it. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to edit those things together so that it comes right up to, you know, that mom, family ties, and no one will ever know. They just assume you were very, very happy about saying family ties. Yeah, I poor Mrs. J. That's how I'm going to refer to her because I enjoy happy days in the abstract. We meet Mrs. J running around the lake with her daughter, Trish, and... We have a bit of dialogue here that I wanted to point out. Trish notes that she thinks that her her mom is lonely. And then, oh no, Trish says that Mr. J, a man with no name, is actually lonely. And then asks about, uh, and then that, sh- that he, oh my god, why is this so fucking hard to say? Trish is a daughter of, of this is why people are given first names, Gina. <laughs> Why do I have to talk about this in fucking code? Mom Jarvis. Perfect. Is, we'll take that. is running with daughter Jarvis. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Yes. Uh, to interrupt, the wiki gives her a first name. Holy Weird. shit. It, wow. she, she is listed as Tracy Jarvis. Although, go, going by the... Now, again, I should point out that the wiki is fan written this is not canon necessarily canon uh-huh. and i am dubious that they give her birth year and which would make her 64 years old oh, fuck you, fuck you. she is she is a very lovely woman for 64 years no old kidding wow <laughs> she makes her, no wonder she's in that sweater when she's jogging it's gonna get very very cold out there her her, oh bir- her her birth year is listed as 1920. <laughs> oh, fuck you. Wow. So anyways, they, they run around and at one point Trish turns to her and she says, I think you're getting horny. Uh, my question to either of you is, when was the last time you asked your mom if you thought she was getting horny? Probably the last time I, I had a sit up in my bed soaked in sweat nightmare, maybe. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but but, you know, my mom and I stopped talking about that when we stopped going for jogs together um you, yeah you no, lost, that's a good you, point you lost that bo- you lost that bonding moment yeah, yeah, you- yeah it was a running together thing i guess no i i would sooner really throw myself out of a second story window than ask my mom or accuse my mom of being horny 
Uh, no, thank you. Mrs. J, you know, fans of bad costuming, and certainly we are because we watched every Friday the 13th movie up until this point, have uh, noted that uh, Mrs. J's sweatsuit is an odd piece of clothing. It's baggy where it should be tight and tight where it should be baggy. It's not doing her any favors, but also, like all the other kids, we notice she is not wearing underwear. Yeah. Why didn't the costumer provide underwear? Or were, or did Chuck <laughs> Zito tell everyone, when you show up to set, I don't want to see underwear. No no underpants. No underpants on my set. Yeah, yeah it, I, under, underwear seem to be missing a lot. Like I like the scene where they go skinny dipping. Yeah. No, no one's wearing underwear. I think. I think yeah. the only. I think the only person. I think Jimmy was like the only person that was wearing underwear. But the girl, no bras, no boxers, nothing. Everybody was sans culottes, no underwear. That's true. <laughs> that is true. And the only reason Jimmy is is for comedy. I think. I think the suggestion is, you know, boy. <laughs> Look at this goofball. He wears underpants under his pants. It, not only is not only is he wearing underpants, he's wearing boxer shorts back yeah. when back when that used to be a sign that you were kind of a stodgy old man. Well, Jimmy's costume in this is perplexing for in a number of ways, and everyone's is because they're wearing basically winter or um early spring or late fall gear in the middle of ostensibly the summer. Because I noticed only that. I a few days that. have yeah, only a few days have passed since part two, and only a few days have passed since part three. All of these movies have occurred in the summer. So why is he walking around like an Amish dissident with his <laughs> long sleeve button down shirt buttoned all the way to the top? Well, clearly he well, clearly he was afraid of ticks. <laughs> That is a legitimate fear. His kids were very wise about Lyme disease even back then, and I appreciate that. (laughs) From from the mouths of babes, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to Mrs. Jarvis, and we we have to make a very moral, quandary-esque decision here. I am wondering if perhaps child services should be called. And you maybe think, oh, that's because she's moved her two vulnerable children to a town that is constantly seeing murderous rampages. No, 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 no. My problem is she serves tuna salad with orange juice. (laughs) No one in their right fucking mind combines tuna salad with an acidic juice. And Trish seems particularly addicted to the stuff. She is drinking lemonade. She is drinking orange juice. She is pounding juice. And I fear for her teeth. I, I feel like she might be raising them in a sort of like dog tooth situation because <laughs> they don't know anything about this mass murder that took place down the road. They, they're just completely, what? 15 people were killed just a, a half a mile away from here? It's like, well, you know, Trish has seen the headlines. I mean, granted, they've been upside down from when her mom's <laughs> reading the newspaper. But one would feel that you might piece together the idea that many, many dead bodies have shown up at the lake where you live. Is kind of like, hey, let's keep doing our, you know, weekly morning runs. What do we have to fear? I would say the mutant backwoods ninja who keeps killing people. Uh, when Tommy and Trish go outside to meet the dead meat gang, that's when they arrive. 
Mrs. J looks out the window at them like she's fully aware that their presence might bring Jason on to their side of the lake. She just, she peers at them with a a lot of like, oh, fuck. Now, is that dread that Trish is going to get wrapped up in their hijinks or that Tommy's going to get wrapped up in their hijinks? Oh, I think it's, I think it's both. I mean... You know, Tommy already was, you know, peeping on them, skinny dipping earlier. I think, you know, she's not ready for her little boy to enter the, the uh, to enter manhood just yet. I th- We got a long way to go before that kid enters manhood. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 si- that, that road sign is not near. I don't know. He is a changed young man at the end of the movie. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in another episode, but still. That's true. Uh, so let's get right to Mrs. J's death because there's not much else to talk about her. I literally had three fucking notes. Mrs. J comes back from her second run of the day because why not? She has a lot of horniness to disperse through swag, I suppose. And there are worse ways to do it. Uh, she comes back into the house and these are the words that she says at the top of her lungs. I'm going to towel off and then I'm going to strangle you (laughs) to no one in particular. What does this mean? Is is she mad because the door was left open before? But we know the door wasn't left open because she opens it. So what the fuck is she going to strangle people about? Yeah, I feel like there was definitely a a, a deleted scene in there. Maybe she, she found, I don't know... Is it, is it raining at this point? Yeah, I guess yes. it is. And yeah. so maybe someone tracked in rain and they, they cut out the single half a second shot that would have established wet footprints or something all over the floor. Mm. I love that you had a whole story about that. That's that. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'll take the wet footprints for sure. I just thought that's what she always says to her kids. <laughs> it's like a- some people say, honey, I am home. And she <laughs> says, I'm going to towel off and I'm going to strangle you. Right. I didn't assume that she was actually going to wipe her body down with a towel. I just thought that's what she says. It's <laughs> <laughs> ah, fair enough. Yeah, Mrs. Chate's got, uh, in addition to a bad costume, her hairstyle leaves something to be desired. And she's not alone. I have the feeling that the hairstylist on this set had like two moves. And that's body wave or awkwardly placed bun. Mm. Mm. <laughs> because the twins also have the awkwardly placed bun. And then the most of the other girls just have body waves. Whereas Mrs. J looks like she's heading to an audition for the stepmother in Disney's Cinderella. It reminds Anyways, me of that, um, what's it called? Felting? That, that arts and crafts thing where people make <laughs> felt creatures out of you know, lint or dryer lint or whatever it is. It, it definitely Gina Radcliffe? Felt. <laughs> Yes, no, I know what he's talking about. You, you, and it would be appropriate for this type of movie because it involves just taking a piece of wool and just repeatedly stabbing it. Stabbing it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's it. Oh, see? Thank you. It, it'd be a wonderful, I learned something today. It'd be a wonderful craft for Jason to take up to, to direct his murderous rage towards him. Agreed. Absolutely. And also, he'd be able to do craft fairs and make friends. Because <laughs> I can really use a friend. Yeah. I mean, let's let's say you're at the Crystal Lake swap meet, or are we going to say this is a farmers market? No, it's a swap meet. In the, it's in, a swap in, meet. Yeah, in the in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, it's a swap meet. New Jersey's more of a swap meet sort of state. Yeah, sure. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you wander in and you notice a booth. Behind it is a rather muddy fellow with a hockey mask. <laughs> selling felting wares and my guess is what is he selling those for or is it like a trade sitch well i mean probably selling them for food (laughs) 
maybe a new tarp to cover his shelter. Tarp's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. But well, I, I would be much more curious what kind of things is he making, like little dragons or they chickadees or what what kind of stuff or just potholders and that sort of thing. It, they're all potholders with pictures of his mom, some yeah. some, some coasters. With the pictures of his mom. The pictures of his mom. Yeah. Yep. You know, sort of little paper doll-like things where you put a corpse-juice-laden sweater on top of his mom. Yeah. I, I get I get the impression he makes a lot of those dried apple dolls. Do you remember making those in school <laughs> where you would... Kitchen witches. Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they, they all just inadvertently look like his mom at the end of part yeah. two. Sure. Because all... Cause all because all dried apple dolls look like the mom. They look like Mrs. Voorhees at the end of part two. Delicious. What does he use for hair? That's, maybe that's what happened to his hair in part two. He cut oh, it all off and... His beautiful hair. Can I tell a quick story? Once upon a time, I was Mormon. All right, that's it. No, <laughs> I was Mormon and I went on a mission, as you're supposed to do, and everyone else was doing it, so I did and I was shipped off to New Jersey, strangely enough. I was introduced to a woman who lived in the apartment building next to ours, who the missionaries constantly visited in the hopes that she would have some sort of, you know, religious epiphany. But really what I discovered is that she cut off her own hair to stuff dolls. Wow. So she was half bald in patches because she would take it off in patches and then lay off her remaining hair over top of it but to stuff the dolls not even to put as the doll's hair right but the inside like you can get things for the inside (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. not that not that feel like that (laughs) not that have that feeling of real human hair stuffed dolls oh believe me i've been collecting for a long time and they're just (laughs) very special Oh, man, when you get that real hair stuffed doll feeling, mm-hmm. you never go back. Yeah, that's right. I got a book for Christmas last year called Crafting with Cat Hair. And I <laughs> I, I sort of feel like the person that gave it to me was, was poking gentle fun at my, uh, my several hundred crafts and interests. And I thought, well, this is kind of creepy, but... Stuffing dolls with your own hair, I mean, that, that's that's like Stephen King's short story territory right there. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so very quickly, because Mrs. Jarvis's death is um, unceremonious, I mean, it just... She just kind of disappears. I said, even the hitchhiker, for her trouble, got an on-screen death. Yeah. Before she goes, though, there is one thing to note. She asks 13 questions to no one. 13. <laughs> I counted. It just keeps asking. She asks about the dog she asks where tommy is she asks where trish is she asks what's going on she asks what she's doing she asks where the dog is she asks where the dog is again she asks if she's crazy and then she looks up and and she's got r.i.p.d mrs jarvis we think she's wandering in the woods just asking questions it's sort of a form of of epilepsy where she just starts going off on a tangent just you know where's the dog what day is it when's lunch and then just sort of wanders away and then normally it's the kids jobs to kind of gently steer her back to the couch and sit her down but they're off doing whatever amazing so let us move on to the main event this is probably what we've been leading up to for all of our episodes is to talk about jimmy and just to set this up for you jeremy um in the previous episode i described jimmy 
as a person full of as much quirk and youthful exuberance as he is crisp and fucking Glover. Yeah. And you have the most experience with Crispin Glover of anyone currently talking in this podcast because you directed him in a movie. That's right. How did that happen? You know, um, because I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I think. <laughs> uh, I was remaking the Herschel Gordon Lewis Wizard of Gore, which is a famously terrible, you know, sort of pre-dating the slasher films, uh, Hirsch Gordon Lewis made the first gory horror movies, but they were horrible. Um, and I discovered them because I'm from Baltimore and John Waters was a huge fan. Before he made any movies, he was obsessed with these incredibly trashy, terrible films that, that Hirsch Gordon Lewis made where people can't act and the sets all look like they're, you know, shot in the suburbs in the mid-60s in Miami and there's lots of like cow tongues and really, really bright red blood and Kodachrome film. And they're <laughs> wonderful and mm-hmm. terrible. And Crispin, luckily, somehow decided that he was obsessed or equally obsessed with, with playing the role that I had envisioned him playing. So um, it wasn't because he thought that I was you know going to be a brilliant filmmaker. And it wasn't because he thought this movie is ripe for remaking and this guy's got a vision. It was just because he thought it would be fun to play that role. And, you know, it's a very chewing the scenery kind of role. So it was perfect for him. And, uh, and I think he just knew that out the gate. I mean, he is not to put too fine a point on it. A highlight of that particular film. It, it, everything coasts along. He, yeah, uh, he is the tide that lifts all boats in, in that particular film. And I think you set him up very well on Thanks. top of it. The film is, is dripping with style and voice, and he just happens to fit into it. Now, he, of course, has been famous for being quirky both on screen and off. The rumor on this particular film was, and let me uh, quickly grab my notes on this so I don't get this wrong is that when he was asked to come to set at one point, he responded, no, I'm feeling like a rain day today. Oh, on, eh. on the Wizard of Gore? No, on oh, Friday on this. 13th Part 4, yes. Oh, wow. Wow, he was already <laughs> in... He was already Crispin Glover enough by this movie... I think he, he was just... born Crispin Glover. Yeah, I guess so. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he he. I actually for for my my TV blog, I reviewed a show he was in before Friday the Thirteenth, in which he was supposed to be just this regular, normal teenage boy, and just the quirks and the ticks. I mean, he could not. <laughs> he, it's, it's like I'm not buying this guy as a normal middle-class teenager i mean he just he looks like he just is about to explode yeah (laughs) because he's trying to rein it in and he's literally just kind of like he doesn't stop moving for a second (laughs) he's talking (laughs) he he breaks the fourth wall a lot and like he fidgets and moves his hands around so much that that it made me nervous to watch him and i wasn't it was this was on like youtube i can't imagine what it would be like to be next to him but he was trying and he was trying to be normal. And it right, was... yeah, I'm sure there's somebody standing right off the camera saying, just please, just tone it down, Crispin. I mean, there's a couple things that I just loved in this movie, but he has a line where he just says, God, I'm horny. And <laughs> given to any other teenage boy, they would just say, God, I'm horny, and seem to know what 
horny means and <laughs> it wouldn't have all this weird subtext. When he says it, you think he might want to eat the head of a rat. Like, and it's subtle. <laughs> you don't really, but you just, and then it's like compounded by the fact that, like, you know, he actually is really believes what he says because it's Crispin Glover and everything's with conviction. And then you think, oh, right, that's Crispin Glover and the idea of him being horny and what that means, what kind of icky thing that means inside his head. It's just wonderful and, and, so much more loaded than I think anybody intended at that moment, you know, 16 minutes into this movie. It's great. I have a couple of my favorites of his lines from this. One is his line reading of, oh, nah, uh, we have no suits. <laughs> <laughs> Which there's only so many words in that sentence and yet he seems to draw all of them out and add additional syllables to them that are unnecessary (laughs) another one is when he and tina finally make it up to the to paul and samantha's room and she pushes him down on the bed and he looks around and goes oh yeah this is a neat room (laughs) agreed i had that neat room wonderful it really is yeah yeah and the the primary feature of that room is images of dogs at the hunt which is really my favorite thing going on not sure what the message is from the production designer i know there's a joke in there i just can't quite get at it mm-hmm. yeah i think my favorite Neat line room. reading i um I, th- I think i mentioned in the last episode but when he is trying to get tina to dance with him so he walks up to her and he's like do you want to dance? She, and she's like, to this? And he's like, he pauses just for a second like he's thinking. It's almost like the Terminator when he's trying to determine what the correct answer should be. And then he just says, it's good. It's like, it's like what? Yeah. What's good? Because you know, it's not that song, I can tell you that. But And then she gets up and dances with them. She's, she's into... This this potential, you know, he might skin me and wear me as a suit later act. She's into it. I mean, he's at his most peaches and creamiest in terms of... He looks like... If you could get as close to him being in a sort of John Hughes movie, yeah. this is as close to it as he will ever get. Absolutely. And so, in terms of, like, wholesome boy next doorish. If he doesn't open his mouth, he's there. Yeah. Once he does or moves his body, <laughs> things begin to mutate. For example, here's something I caught just this particular run through of the movie. And that is once Paul rejects Tina uh, because of hat shenanigans, I'm not particularly <laughs> sure. His whole motivation is a mystery to me. The camera pans back and we find Jimmy on the couch despondently making a mobile out of Cheetos and toothpicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once you said the thing about Crispin saying he needed a rain day, I knew that that is his. That, that, that mobile and the, the, the Cheetos and toothpicks, that's Crispin. And that even at that age, I'm sure he said, um, I, I, pardon me, I have an idea and I would like to try it in this scene. You know that wasn't them. That's that's him all the way. That's just him. Oh, do I believe that Chuck Zito 
came armed with a lot of fun character quirks for the people in this movie? No, I do not. Well, I sort of, I, I believe that, that Ted was written to have a teddy bear with him. So I think that, uh, that Crispin felt that Jimmy needed a little colorful yes. aspect to his character. Yep. So he didn't have a prop. He, he needed a prop, so he made himself a prop. We've talked about Jimmy's dance. I mean, it's probably the most famous thing from the movie. I, I think I'm standing by my evaluation that it's an interpretive movement version of Lucy's chocolate factory sketch. But he could also be landing a lot of airplanes very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not particularly sure, but it is rhythmic. It is joyous. It does seem genuine and it is super fucking weird. And no one else in that party seems to go, well, that's an odd thing to do. They're just like, that's how Jimmy dances. I think they've, I think they've accepted that he's an alien wearing human skin. Yeah. And, and it's still trying to learn Earth's customs. <laughs> Here's the thing about that moment that really struck me watching it, because obviously I've heard about the dance. When it happens, I couldn't help but think, as it so often happens on movie sets, you're not watching the first take. You're probably not watching the second or third or fourth take. That's like the fifth or sixth time that Crispin was asked to do that. And it doesn't even look a little bit like he thought about it, like he's tired, <laughs> like he, it feels as sporadic. The other thing is it seems a little aggressive. Like it seems like yeah. he's got a little anger behind it, just subtly, but it's wonderful. It really is as wonderful as, as you know, you anticipate things in this life where you've been told that something's going to be special and then most things don't live up to their reputation but that certainly does <laughs> I, I totally buy that it took multiple takes and yet i would bet actual cash money that every take there was a different dance absolutely for sure so a whole bunch of drama happens everyone else in the party seems to be attending awake uh, who mm. isn't interacting with tina tina and paul have this interaction and then Paul says, no, I, I can't. I can't sleep with one half of this murderous British duo. And I'm going to take off. And immediately Tina is prompted by her twin sister to walk over to the next available penis and <laughs> jump on it. And that is Jimmy and not Ted. And then we get this crazy slow dance scene between the two of them. To this horrible 30s song. Yeah, they're listening. Yeah. They're, for some reason, I don't know, this cabin is stocked entirely in stuff from the 1920s. Yeah. Like, like that's and, all the music they have. And they have all the album. The, then they have all the old, like, like uh, naughty movies. 60 millimeter print of, of yeah, pornography of, from the 20s. Like, you know, people dancing in their bloomers and all. And, yeah. and it's, it's like, it's like somebody's great-grandparents' summer cabin. It does seem Very to be sweet. stocked with some odd shit. That's for damn sure. Although, when I went to Spain, uh, the rental place that we had for a week out in, in the middle of nowhere, we happened to discover the craziest shit. This guy had this one statue where if you pressed the guy's feet, his uh, coat would open and his penis would become erect. <laughs> statue? Like an actual a statue. statue? A fucking statue. How do I get one of those? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it came from. One. 
I have a picture. Wow. I will put it up on the Facebook page for everyone to see. That's so great. Please Just so you me. know I'm not lying. <laughs> wow. This fucking existed. Um, so God, there's I, I, always weird shit in cabins. I, I remember one cabin that Becky and I went to in either Big Bear or Lake Arrowhead where it was just all evil clown pictures. Well, like straight out of my bedroom from when I was five. It fucking freaked me out. They were all cross stitched and they were all looking at me like, mm, I don't like you. So Jimmy and Tina have this slow dance uh, and the, the dialogue goes as such. I thought you wanted to be with Ted, Jimmy says, as he's wearing Paul's hat. (laughs) Why is he asking about Ted? And Tina replies, well, I did. Now I want to be with you. And Jimmy's response is, that makes me feel like a rat. The whole time you've been complaining to Ted that you want to sleep with any twin that you can get near. (laughs) You finally have one. And he's like, oh, all right. He... He talk. He's almost talking his way out of having sex. Yeah, I think that may be what Ted is trying to get through to him earlier. But because Ted's such an asshole, he just puts a complex into his head that he's a dead fuck. When really he should say, "Stop talking so much and uh, just romance these people." Well, you really want to hear after you ask. Oh well, I thought you wanted this person. Well, I did, but now I want you. That's a good ego stroke. It's like, yeah, it didn't work out. This other person that I was you know, schmoozing all over fifteen minutes ago. Now I'll just move on to you. You'll do. His cock is the designated survivor of this particular party. <laughs> it reminded me that the era that I went to high school in was a, a constant reminder that I missed the part where people actually did dirty things like that. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever, now I'm going to sleep with you. I somehow missed the era where people behaved like that and girls just would switch and then you would... The guy wasn't available, so you were the next guy. I, I, I don't know what what was going on in 1984 that made that possible, but I guess it was really still kind of the end of the 70s, huh? Mm, yeah. I mean, the, the this first sequence of Friday the 13th movies really feel like the 70s and then... With this one in particular, it hits hard 80s. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, someone at Paramount are like, do you know that Ronald fucking Reagan is in office? Put some cap (laughs) sleeves on these motherfuckers. (laughs) So, Jimmy and Tina totes do it. Yeah, the the Jimmy losing his virginity is is a large plot point in this movie. (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I had I, I've been wanting to bring this up. I find the way he behaves immediately following his deflowering to to be a bit troubling and implausible. Now I'm, I'm not going to get into anything personal, but I don't know how many people, even young men, will immediately upon losing their virginity will exit the room without their pants on, go downstairs, and present their friend with the underwear. Of the person they just slept with. I wondered about that. That's really weird. Yeah, agreed. And, and I was watching it, and the way Ted was handling it, I'm like, oh my god, he's going to put it on his head. Oh my god, he's going to smell them, <laughs> isn't he? Thank god. I, I mean, you could tell he was thinking about it. And I, yeah. like, and I was like, please cut, please cut away. Please, thank you. Thank you for cutting away from that. But I guarantee you there's a take where he puts it on his head. I guarantee you there's a take where he sniffs it. I mean, you it, can it, just feel it. I mean, I think I might have written it in my diary, but I didn't make a point of announcing to 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 the rest of the household, hey, guess what? <laughs> it's just, it's very weird. 
Yes. Well, we're entering a very distinct phase of this particular movie, and it's called Noises Off. It's all upstairs and downstairs, and wackiness abounds, because Jason is somewhere and nowhere. He's everywhere all at once, and he doesn't have to make any noise when he walks past you. He knows what window you'll peer out of. It <laughs> really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's sort of like... And, and he can apparently scale the side of a building? Yeah. And, and with one, using one arm and using the other arm to f- fling someone out a window? Well, yeah, like five days ago, he got a, a massive shoulder injury, Gina. I'm sure he could leap up that motherfucker no problem. He just He just lifted Paul by his nutsack. On the end of a spear gun. He is jacked. He's swole and he doesn't care who knows it. It's weird how he just scatters about. And I wonder if this isn't an extension of something that Gina discovered very early on in our journey through the Friday the 13th series. And that is Jason has a superpower. And maybe it just goes through the entire Voorhees family. Because I think you could extend it to, to, to Pamela. And that is that the Voorhees family knows a person's fuck style. Just inherently. <laughs> when he's in the zone, when he's near you, he can sense it. Wow. And and therefore, he knows that Jimmy is the kind of person, even though this is the first time he's ever had sex, that afterwards, he's going to go downstairs and talk to his the real love of his life. Clearly. To, to prove that he is, in fact, a real man. To which point, Ted is so high, not only in the realm of the movie, but actually in the filming of that scene, that he doesn't fucking care. Goes into the other room and grabs wine out of the refrigerator, pulls it out of there, and then loudly asks, as Gina has pointed out several times, with a continuously open mouth, Dad, where's the fucking corkscrew? It's like, they sound like an old married couple. It's the fancy corkscrew, which is even better, is that there's a corkscrew in the house that's not fancy. He does not want to use... No. The regular, he only wants to use the fancy No, this is a special occasion shit, man. You need the Absolutely. fancy corkscrew. So and good. He, and he receives that corkscrew right in his hand, nailing it down into some butcher block, which I might add, I think is impossible. I don't think that's the way corkscrews work. They don't go Not straight down. Not the way down. he's no. holding. Sure. No. But I mean, uh, okay, fine. It's you know, it's it's a silly movie. It's a Tom Savini gag. That's not what I'm I'm here to see. What I'm here to see is Tom's take on his hatchet head gag. This time, going into Jimmy's face and say what you will. That is a cool kill. Absolutely, it just is. Absolutely. It is, but it's very. It, it cuts away really quickly, or at least the the That's version. That's an MPAA thing. Yeah, the version. Oh, is that why? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the version I watched, it was like a, a barely a second, which which for such a memorable character, he gets taken out pretty quickly. Yeah, I would. I'm. It's interesting that it's an MPAA thing, and it makes sense. Um, it really makes it effective, though. It's all the kills that that are super um, effects heavy happened so fast that I thought I was surprised at how elegantly they play and they don't, you know, they don't feel dated at all. Mm -hmm. And that that's really impressive, really, considering how old the film is. One of the reasons I wanted to do this was that there's a little bit of a old school magic to it. The in-camera special gore effect has a bit of you know, now you see it, now you don't. It's all about what you can get away with. Yep. You know, using the camera effectively to create an illusion. 
And once again, you're the only one of us who's really done gore effects on camera. How difficult is it to pull something like that off? Crazy difficult. And even when you have a substantial budget, you know, which I haven't really, but compared to, you know, tiny, tiny movies that have pulled it off very successfully, and you can build a dummy and do all kinds of cool pneumatic, you know, head popping off devices and stuff. It still only can play for a matter of frames before you just, your brain knows that it's, it's not a person's body. Um, yeah. That fall is, am I jumping ahead too much? To, uh, you can jump ahead. We'll, we'll, that we'll circle fall back. is amazing. I, is that a body? Is that a, is that a dummy? Is that a real person? It's that so is a real well person. It's so well done. It's so no, well it's done. It's as, so beautiful. And it adds so much production value to this. Yeah. To see a real stunt adds yeah. so much production value. I know. Because you can tell, like, you, A, you can tell that's not the same person. But that's that's fine. But the way that impact goes and the way the windows blow out when Tina actually hits that car, it's fucking just as good as the as the fall in Lethal Weapon. In yep. my mind, it's just as good. And the additional part is to it, the Lethal Weapon one's a, sma- a flat smack. Right. Whereas this one, she bounces off the top of the car and rolls off into the side. It just makes it worse. Like, it's not planned. It just doesn't feel like this is a planned stunt. Like that yep. went well. Yeah. Exactly. Somebody got a little hurt doing that, and and somehow you can feel that while that's happening. Well, the crazy thing is about that that take that we see. That's the second take. Wow. They they did several takes of her being thrown out. They just would catapult her, and and the stuntman would kind of appear to be throwing her. But the impact into the top of the station wagon, they did that twice. And wow. what we see is take number two. Wow. So the, the whoever did that stunt, man, all of my hats are off to you. You are a legend. So let's circle back very quickly. Jimmy, R.I.P.D., let's talk about Tina. Um, and then we'll talk about her amazing death scene again. The thing that came across to me this time about Tina is that she sticks her fucking finger in the dip to try it out, which is gross. I don't care what country you're from. She is from another country. She is a guest here. Don't stick your finger in dip to try it out. (laughs) That's just not okay. In the last episode, we talked about Paul's Three Stooges impression. (laughs) When he's asked to be kissed by his girlfriend, he says, Soitenly. And we surmise that that would instantly uh, dry up any woman he's around. This time, we get Tina's little rascal-esque sideways hat crowning. During her slow dance, no one knows how to do hat business in this movie. Truly, yeah, they all, a lot of them kind of come off like they just stepped off the mothership into this uh, this cabin in the woods, and that they're all trying to hide the fact from each other that they're aliens. It's like this, this could have turned into the thing if it was written a different way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got a, right. you've got Tommy, and you've got Trish. You know, no, I, Trish I, is the sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant uh, Terry. I met, Terry. I, I met Trish though. Tommy and trish are sitting you know oh, outside okay. the, the burning wreck of their house just kind of staring at each other you know what should we do now why don't we just wait a little while see what happens friday the 13th <laughs> part four because <laughs> <laughs> they all sort of act a little weird and and I, I don't buy that any of these people except maybe 
for Ted and Jimmy ever met each other before this before this <laughs> trip. There's just they, there's a very weird dynamic to and, and again it is made weirder by the the old timey music and the old timey nudie movies they find and wait, are they all have they all already been dead the whole time <laughs> definitely sure. got out waiting for godot quality in this film doesn't it yeah like i i fully support the idea that that being stuck in the pine barrens of new jersey would be a lot like what purgatory would be like <laughs> I, I went to high school around there. So I just create a fan theory. They are all been dead the whole time. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, in the lead up to Tina's amazing demise, she looks out one window, sees that her and Terry's bike are still there. So now she's on the lookout for Terry. She then goes to the other window in the room and looks out once, then comes back, looks out again, then comes back and looks out a third time. <laughs> and I... I, I know that Chuck Zito is thinking that he's building suspense in this sequence, but I would say this is the one definite time that he's just stretching. Like, yeah. we gotta get to 90 minutes. There's no way it was scripted that she looks out a window, not once, not twice, but three times, and that's on top of the one time she looked out a different window. <laughs> and then Jason reaches through, she's defenestrated, uh, through the window and onto the top of that station wagon and that window in the back that Ted and Jimmy stick their heads out of in the beginning of the movie is blown to bits. It's unfortunate, but it sure does look cool to watch. So we once again reach that golden moment in every episode. It's it's everyone's favorite. It's the game that's sweeping the nation. It's choose your own death venture. And so our odds are kind of in everyone's favor here we got three selections there's three of us we can double up though so choose with your heart i ask you gina radcliffe you're going first do you uh, want to we... blink out blink out into nothingness like mrs jarvis do you want a corkscrew in the hand and meat cleaver in the face like jimmy or do you want to be pulled out of a second story window and hit a station wagon in the coolest fucking stunt I've ever seen in a Friday the 13th movie? When you, when you put it that, that uh, Mrs. Jarvis blinks out of existence, I sort of picture her putting on the one ring. And and so <laughs> sure. you know, that, that seems like kind of a cool way to go. So uh, That's really know. addictive, though, Gina. You're, you're stepping into a big responsibility slapping on that ring. You know what happens to people? When they do that? Uh, yeah, but the, on the other hand, it could get flung out a window or get a hatchet to the face. I mean, you know, mm. at, at least the the thing that happens with the one ring, it's it's you know, it it, it takes place over a period of time. But on the other hand, mm. she's just this very forgettable character, and, and I don't want to be forgotten. So I'm actually going to go ahead and I will say I'm going to take Jimmy's way out, corkscrew okay. corkscrew to the hand, hatchet to the face. That's one of the most memorable despite it not being as long on screen as i remember seeing it before it's still probably the most memorable one in the movie to me anyway i, I would agree with that okay our guest jeremy sir uh what you know, do you choose i gotta say i love crispin's death in this movie i think it's beautifully done i think the expression on his face when he gets the hatchet in the face is gorgeous and everything it should be but I am just a huge fan of that that Italian giallo uh, <laughs> Suspiria shit, and and that fling in slow motion, balletically coming out the window with the glass flying and the bounce on the car and the windows blowing out. It's just it's so over the top and wonderful. 
I, I would have to pick that. I am going to side with Jeremy on this for this reason. I was a big fan of the stunt guy growing up. Oh, I watched yeah. a lot of A-Team. I watched, <laughs> I watched a lot of people get their feet shot at on TV. Sure. And because you couldn't show actual violence. So everyone's feet got shot at. And that kind of stunt, there's something about it that just hits my nine-year-old button like yeah joy and <laughs> yeah i love i love that stunt i love it if i weren't Agreed. already married I, I might be ring shopping right now i'm telling you <laughs> it's really cool it's a good one. Oh, note to self do not play for becky okay <laughs> and so that brings us to the end of yet another episode hey jeremy uh, where where can people find out more about you and what's happening? Well, I have a, uh, a website right on the World Wide Web on the tubes of the Internet, uh, and that's mm-hmm. jeremycaston.com. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, you know, my movies are available on um, Amazon and all the other wonderful places like Netflix. And, um, and, yeah, just out there on the World Wide Web. Yeah, I, they're they're all great. I'm a fan of all of them. I would I would throw it out there. Attic Expeditions is a joy to behold. It is. Oh, thank you. It is my favorite of yours by hair, but it is a definitive favorite. I love it. It's trippy. It's so weird. It has such a wonderful voice. If you have not seen Attic Expeditions, by God, watch it today. Oh, hey, Gina, where can people find you on the internet? How am I supposed to to uh, follow up with that? I've never, I've not made any movies. That's true, but you've made things. You you have a voice, and 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 you say it loud and proud. What do you want to speak about? You, we, you, we say your name. You could not sound more patronizing right now. I I, I have to say. <laughs> oh no! You have something to contribute? Really? <laughs> Tell them what you do. It's okay. Well, <laughs> Patrick, Note if you must self, know. Don't play this back for Gina, okay? Right. I, I write about uh, 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Hooray! Excellent. Wow. Hey, check it out, people. All righty. Uh, if you want to talk to us, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter. Several of you have been doing that lately and it's been wonderful at killbykillpod. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on iTunes. I'll tell you what, when you rate and review us on iTunes, tell us what your favorite kill is uh, from the Friday the 13th series and and we'll read it on the air. Uh, That is my promise to you. I, I will bring up your statement of your favorite kill from Friday the 13th on air. Please rate and review us today. Speak from your heart and uh, uh, we we will praise your name as well. Uh, that will do it for today. Until next time, people, that's Kill by Kill. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. 
Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today. <laughs>